my, my hope is that you will be able to make it through the entirety of this scripture passage. We are reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The screens, I think, will stop at 16. We're going to add one more verse to that. All right, are you all ready? An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. It keeps going. And David was the father of Solomon by, his, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. There's still more. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud. And Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the, to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Loving God, what could we possibly glean from this long list of names? Could there, in fact, be gospel truth for us? Speak that truth to us today. In Christ we pray. Amen. Why in the world would Matthew start his gospel off like that? That is not how you begin a story. The last thing you want to do if you want people to actually listen to what you're about to say is to list off a long bunch of names that seem to have no end, and yet that's exactly what Matthew does. Why? No other gospel does that. All the others seem to get it. Mark starts, Mark's got a great opening line. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Just grabs hold of you. You just walk away from that statement with all kinds of questions. What good news? Who is this we're talking about? I want to know more. 
Luke basically starts his gospel off with a question. Do you want to know the truth? Well, who doesn't want to know the truth? I want to know the truth. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. John goes all the way back to the beginning, as we well know, paints this cosmic picture, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you hear that, and you lean over and say, I'm going to have to strap myself in for this one. This is big stuff. But not Matthew. No, Matthew slowly puts on his boring academic glasses, spectacles, about like this, I would say, walks up, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Abraham was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Isaac, and Isaac. I mean, it just puts you to sleep. It's a snore fest of a beginning to a story. Why would he do it? Why in the world does he do that? Why put us to sleep with this long list of names? Well, I think I know. And get at it, I'm going to give you some examples of some, th some things. If I were to walk into your house and start to look around, like look on the walls and on side tables, and what am I most likely to find? Pictures of people, right? Somewhere, whether it's in the hallway or in the entryway or, or somewhere in your house, you're likely to have pictures of people, but not just any people, not just random Joe Schmo out there, people who are important to you, people who mean something in your life. Regardless of, could be family, could be relatives, could be friends. People who mean something to you, I would be likely to find hanging on the wall. Or, right? A young girl calls her grandmother up and she says, I want to I go to the family cemetery, Grandma. I've never been. And grandmother says, you bet, sure, well, let's make a day of it, I'll take you. And they walk out to the family cemetery and they, they walk by the graves. And she tells stories about each one of those people. And she looks down and she sees her granddaughter smiling and crying at the same time. Standing there in front of people she's never met, never known, never graced in the presence before. And is emotionally affected. Why is that? Websites like Ancestry.com make big business out of helping people find out more about the, place, the places and the people from which they came, connecting them. You send in a DNA sample, right, and they send you all this data on what part of the world you kind of stem from, and certain percentage of you are kind of over here, and other percentage of you are over here, and, and the clans that existed long ago, and what they were like, and, and how many different races inform and are part of what has become the production of your unique life. Why do we spend money on that kind of thing? Why all this energy on finding out more about where we came from? Why? Why do we do it? What's that about? Why we do those things? Well, I think, I think we do those things. 
hang pictures on our wall or in our office or of people that mean something to us. I think the reason we sometimes get emotional at cemeteries, even if we hadn't met them, spend all this money and energy on wanting to know more about where we come from, is because deep down, deep down in the belly of our soul is this desire to belong. We want to belong desperately. Wherever we find that belonging, we need that desire met. And when we find it, we get emotional. We want to belong. We want to we want to be known. We want to be loved. That's why Matthew painstakingly lists all these names. He's wanting you to know that you have a family. It's a spiritual family, no doubt, but he wants you to know that this is your family, who these people are. Whether you belong or don't belong, how much you feel like you belong or don't belong in the family you grew up in or or the places you're involved in out in the world, Matthew wants you to know that you belong to this family, that you belong to Jesus Christ and the family that goes before him. And he wants you to know their name. And I'm here to tell you, it's not unlike any other family, other family trees that you would put together. There are some wacko people in this list. And he plays loose with it. He skips over entire generations. He skips over three generations from King Joram to King Uzziah. We know this because it's listed in the first and second kings. And he just skips right over them. And scholars will tell you, and they're, they're right, more than likely, that he does it in order to make sure each group has 14 generations. Remember that part, 14 generations and 14? 14 is a royal number. Why? Because David, the letters of David, literally end up meaning the number 14. So that's a royal number. So that's why he's tying him to David, giving credibility to Jesus' name to David. That's why he has to skip over some. But why those? I don't know why those. I mean, why didn't he pick someone else? Maybe because, you know, maybe they're like Uncle Ron. Everybody's got an Uncle Ron. And no one wants to deal with Uncle Ron. Uncle Ron's here. I don't want to deal with Uncle Ron. Why did Uncle Ron come? How did he know about this? I don't want to... Who invited Uncle Ron, you know? And sometimes you're Uncle Ron. I sometimes feel like Uncle Ron <laughs> myself, you know. Maybe he just didn't want to bother with Uncle Ron. Even so, he includes all kinds of folks that you would not expect in this list. Prostitutes. People who committed adultery, cheated on one another in that list. Foreigners, Gentiles, could you believe it? Why would he do that? Luke doesn't do it. Luke's got a similar list. He's got a kind of a whole different list going on. Doesn't include those people. Why would Matthew? Because he wants you to know that no matter where you come from, who you are, what you've done, 
or how much or how little you feel like you belong or don't belong out in the world, that you are welcome in the family of Christ. That you are welcome. That you are part of this family that knows you, loves you, you belong here. It's a family of faith. It's a family of hope. It's a family where God takes people and turns them completely around this family and then sends them back out into the world and says, bring me more. Bring more into the family. Want to know why I know that? Because at the very end of Matthew's gospel, what does he have Jesus saying to the disciples? Go and make disciples of all nations. All nations, he says. So Matthew starts off his gospel with this long list of the crazy nuts that came before us and says, go find more of them. Bring them in. It doesn't matter who they are. They're welcome in my family. Bring them into the family. They're welcome. You belong here. He wants you to know that. If you belong nowhere else, you belong here with Christ and the family of God. You belong. You belong. In a second, we're going to read another list of names. We're going to gather around this table We're going to read the names of those who have died this past year. Members of the family. Each of them spent time in this world. They held significance and purpose in their life. They meant something to someone in this sanctuary today. And we're going to read their names. Every single one. Even Uncle Ron. He gets to be on there too. All of them. All of them. We're going to remember them. And we're going to rejoice that they are now at home with God. And then you know what we're going to do after that after we remember them and rejoice that they're at home with God, we're going to feast together in this great supper that has been given to us that reminds us that we are fed by this family, welcomed into this family, and are known and loved by this family, by Christ himself. And then after that, we're going to stand up and we're going to turn around and we're going to walk out those doors and we're going to go out into the world with hope. Yes, hope. The kind of hope that walks out into the streets of our divided city and and lifts people out of their darkness. The kind of hope that wraps its great big arms around this world, looks every other person in the eye and says to them, Welcome to the family. Welcome home. You belong here. You belong. Don't forget it. Live your life by it.
because each person out there is another name on the list. Amen.